let's do the loudest amen that's ever had in this church. Getting all Pentecostal. Okay, see you guys. And here's Rachel. Tag, you're it. You get the dog for the rest of the service now. No. If she wants to sit by me, she can. Good morning. Again. Hi, Josie. All right. Let's see. I'm short, but this is too short for me. How do I do this? Help. Thank you, husband. This is why I have Louise. He knows how to use the stands. <laughs> That's too high. I'm too... No. There you go. There you go. All right. Now we're ready to roll. Hi, everybody. You get to hear from me again today. Yay. I am so excited. I am a little jittery because I had coffee. But this is the norm. You guys are used to that. Nothing, nothing surprising. So, as you guys know, the past few months, we've been exploring the genealogy of Jesus in the first chapter of Matthew. I think we've been doing this for like, gosh, I don't even know, like two months, and we're still in the genealogy. So, we're trucking right along, you guys. We're doing great. Hang in there. So, we're just finishing up with the life of King David with a wonderful message from Jake last week. If you were not here last week, make sure you go back and listen to Jake's message because it was amazing. I really appreciated it. Um, I didn't get to share this with him last week, but as a woman who grew up in purity culture, learning to carry myself in a certain way to keep my fellow brothers in Christ from sinning or for lusting or attracting attention of men or boys. It was almost like I, I was taught to almost be responsible for their sin um, or their lust. So it was really refreshing to hear the story of Bathsheba and David told in a truthful way that King David non-consensually took advantage of Bathsheba. Um, I really appreciated that perspective because that's not how I learned the story growing up. The way that I learned the story growing up was that Bathsheba was being all promiscuous up on her roof, taking a bath, which is actually the normal thing back then. Um, that she was the one who caused David to stumble, even though it was his actions that he needed to be responsible for. So all that to say, Really appreciated the message last week, and it felt really empowering and encouraging to me. So as we finish up the life of David, we're going to start looking at his son, Solomon. But as a little segue into Solomon's life, we're going to be taking a look at the book of Ecclesiastes. The author of Ecclesiastes is unknown, but the voice or the teacher of the story is thought to be King Solomon. So first of all, if you've never read Ecclesiastes, hot dog, which I was going to say hot dang, but Louise told me to say hot dog because Jess always says hot dog. But if you weren't already depressed or you've never like experienced depression or struggled with depression before, the book of Ecclesiastes will really do it to you. So just as a, like a fair warning, <laughs> if you ever look into it. And to be completely honest, before this, 
I had never read the book of Ecclesiastes fully. I'd only really been familiar with the part of Ecclesiastes where it's like, for everything there is a season. Um, I think it's really easy to bypass the rest of the book and just focus on that one part. And I feel like I never read it previously because I didn't really feel like I needed to. Um, as I said, it's, it's kind of a downer <laughs> if you're not, if you are, haven't experienced depression in the past. Um, so I feel like I just kind of bypassed it. And I feel like all of us do this, like there's certain areas of scripture that we're like, eh, this doesn't really feel relevant, I'm just gonna not read it. But as I have read Ecclesiastes over and over throughout this week, I have felt a weird comfort from it, which sounds weird because I just said it's pretty depressing, but I found a familiarity with the words and the feelings that were expressed. It was almost a brush of brush. <laughs> breath of fresh air in a weird way. We talk about how the full spectrum of emotions and feelings are displayed in the Psalms, which is true, but I feel like Ecclesiastes is also very expressive and full of depth and feeling. Ecclesiastes states, a person who fears God deals responsibly with all of reality, not just a piece of it. I feel like I'm really loud. Is this okay? Okay. Because I feel like I'm screaming. <laughs> the book of Ecclesiastes is for those who are suffering, who feel the weight of life under the sun, the weight that life carries. It's for those who are deconstructing their faith, those in desolation. It's for people who feel or have felt like a victim of life and who have been dealt unfair cards. I see Ecclesiastes as a book of grieving things that aren't as expected. I've had many major moments of disappointment in my life because things did not go as expected. We often don't know what our expectations are until they are utterly crushed. <laughs> and Ecclesiastes reflects the grieving process of this. Have you guys ever grieved unfulfilled expectations? See a lot of nods? Yes, some, some hand raises. Well, Ecclesiastes is for you <laughs> and for me. The book of Ecclesiastes asks the question, what's the point? And I can guarantee that anyone who's lived a little bit of life has asked that question at least, at least once, maybe, maybe more than once. So today, I want to look at a few different things. First thing is, where is the wisdom in asking what's the point? The second thing is there's a word called hevel. It's a Hebrew word, so we're going to talk about that. How do we live well in the midst of hevel, and where's the hope? Ecclesiastes is one of the three wisdom literatures in the Bible, which also includes Proverbs, which comes right before it, and Job. These three books explore what it means to live well in the world. The Bible Project describes Proverbs as a young, bright teacher who is all about pursuing wisdom as an attribute of God that is woven into reality. And it provides hope that if you use wisdom, you can build a successful life. And then it goes on to describe Ecclesiastes as the critic, which we'll hear that tone of voice as we read the scripture today. 
And reading Ecclesiastes after Proverbs is kind of like a trip. <laughs> Proverbs feels like it gives us a blueprint almost. Like, if you do these things, you'll most likely get this outcome in life. It's pretty simple and straightforward for the most part. To me, when I read Proverbs, it feels like, I don't know, like when I was young, I would be playing with like blocks or toys or whatever, and my grandpa would come and sit in his rocking chair and just rattle off like wisdom about life or like life advice. That's what Proverbs feels like to me. Something to note about Ecclesiastes is there are two different voices that we hear in the book. There's the teacher, and then there's the author who collects the word of the teacher. And like I said previously, some people think the teacher to be King Solomon, but the author is pretty unknown and anonymous. Um, the teacher has the voice of a critic. You can feel the harshness in their words and in their questions. Um, their voice brings up the harsh realities of life, the feeling of meaninglessness that we often experience. It shows the raw emotions and depth of difficult emotions we can feel. And by the way, there's no negative emotions. I don't know if you've ever learned that before. There's ne negative meanings that we put around emotions, but I've learned recently that there's no negative emotions. I feel like that was really enlightening for me. So the critic explores three things in Ecclesiastes. The march of time, which is how generations come and go, our mortality, and life's seemingly random nature. And all of these things are things that I myself have questioned with, questioned and wrestled with. So as I was reading Ecclesiastes, I used my ESV Bible and read the message side by side just to get different insight. My message Bible has an intro to every book, which I think is so cool. That's been really helpful for me. And this is the intro to Ecclesiastes. It says, Everything we try is so promising at first, but nothing ever seems to amount to very much. We intensify our efforts, but the harder we work at it, the less we get out of it. Some people never seem to learn, becoming less and less human by the year. Ecclesiastes is most emphatically and necessarily in the Bible in order to call a halt to our various and futile attempts to make something of our lives so that we can give our full attention to God, who he is and what he does to make something out of us. Ecclesiastes functions not as a meal, but as a bath. It is not nourishment, it is cleansing. It is repentance, it is purging. We read Ecclesiastes to get scrubbed clean from illusion and sentiment, from ideas that are idolatrous and feelings that cloy. It is an expose and rejection of every arrogant and ignorant expectation that we can live our lives by ourselves on our own terms. The author's cool skepticism a refreshing negation to the lush and seductive suggestions swirling around us, promising everything but delivering nothing clears the air. And once the air is cleared, we are ready for reality, for God. I read that and I was like, whew. <laughs> that does not feel like encouraging. <laughs> like, ooh, you're gonna you're gonna scrub me clean with the scripture. It doesn't sound like it's going to feel very great. So before we move forward, I want to look at the word hevel. It's H-E-V-E-L. Various translations of the Bible use different words to describe hevel. Some use the word meaningless. 
Some use the word vanity. The message version uses the word smoke. Hevel is a Hebrew word that means smoke or vapor. Whenever we hear the word meaningless in the scripture or vanity, we can substitute in the word vapor or smoke. It's something that comes and goes quickly. We see it and then it's gone. We try to grasp at it, but it can't be grasped. It comes and goes as it pleases, like the wind. It says everything is hevel. So as we read, I want you guys to have that word in the back of your mind. So after hearing advice on how to live a good life in Proverbs, while feeling confident that we can at least do a few of the things that are recommended, we get to Ecclesiastes where it begins like this. Meaningless, meaningless, says the preacher. Utterly meaningless. <laughs> Off to a great start, right? Sounds like something I want to read. Cool. <laughs> so it continues to say, What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and it sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea's never full. To the place the streams come from, where they there they return again. All things are wearisome, or all things are full of weariness. More than one can say. The eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again, and what has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new? It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. Ouch, right? Ooh, I don't like that. Let's read a little bit more. This is from chapter 2 of Ecclesiastes in the message version. And the section is titled, I Hate Life. <laughs> Sometimes you just read the Bible and you just have to laugh because you're like, all right, cool. <laughs> it says, then I took a good look at everything I'd done. Looked at all the sweat and hard work, but when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke. Smoke and spitting into the wind. There's nothing from any of it. Nothing. When I realized my fate is the same as the fools, I had to ask myself, so why bother being wise? It's all smoke. Nothing but smoke. The smart and the stupid both disappear out of sight. In a day or two, they'll both be forgotten. I hate life. As far as I can see, what happens on earth is a bad business, and I hated everything I'd accomplished and accumulated on this earth. Can't take it with me. Nope, I have to leave it to whoever comes after me, whether they're worthy or worthless, and who's to tell? They'll take over the earthly results of my intense thinking and hard work. Smoke. And then chapter four and five touches a little bit on injustice and violence which I think for me, that is the thing that gets me questioning what is life and where's the hope. It says, next, I turned my attention to all the outrageous violence that takes place on this planet, the tears of the victims, no one to comfort them, the iron grip of oppressors, no one to rescue the victims from them. So I congratulated the dead who are already dead instead of the living who are still alive. Chapter five says, don't be too upset when you see the poor kicked around, injustice and right violated all over the place. Exploitation filters down from one petty official to another. There's no end to it and nothing can be done about it. <laughs> These passages about injustice can 
kind of feel like they're giving up on the fight for what's right, but that is not at all the point of these verses. These verses are showing the mere depth of the human experience when we see injustice and we see violence and we're trying so hard to work against those things and work for God, but sometimes it just doesn't feel like you can do anything. It just feels too big. Um, and it's about grieving what isn't and what should be. It shows us that it's safe to express this kind of anguish. Some of us are so afraid to feel this way or to express these things, but it's integral to our walk and our faith. Have you guys ever found yourself feeling this way? That the earth just feels so hopeless? That you try to work for something good and it feels hopeless. Something else comes along and changes the course of everything. Or you feel like you're grasping at life or good things, trying to chase goodness and do the right thing, but it just feels pointless. Or you receive pain and disappointment in return for all of your good hard work. Our human experience is often so heavy. Ecclesiastes states, foreign wisdom is much vexation, which is frustration and worry. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Feels about right, right? Feels like that to me. Feels like we are just grasping to understand these things or trying to have such a tight grip on these things. And it feels like we're trying to grasp at something that's not real or it feels like it's right in front of us. Or we feel like the smoke won't clear and we can't see a clear picture. So after looking at all of this hevel, all of this smoke, all of this vapor that we can't catch, how can we live in the midst of it? This is what it feels like, and this is what we like to call the now and the not yet of the kingdom. Obviously, we see good things on the earth. I feel like sometimes I've had to remind myself that good things still happen, and that there still is goodness on the earth. And there is. Those are the good things of the kingdom. But there's also an absence of the kingdom here. And as depressing as Ecclesiastes can feel, there is wisdom and direction within the text. When I think of Hevel, I think of mystery. And one of the things that has both terrified me and comforted me in my faith has been the mystery of it. This mystery has both brought me dread on my worst days and peace and comfort when I finally surrender to it. And this has been really tricky while also struggling with mental health. <clears throat> Let me drink some water. So Ecclesiastes makes us face the idea that all of us know in the back of our heads, but obviously nobody likes to ruminate about this thought, but our bodies here on earth are mortal. So for me, over the past several years, I have flip-flopped between anxiety and depression. A lot of it to do with the circumstances that Luis and I have experienced. Um, part of that being the injustice within the immigration system. There was a time where we were married, but we were separated because of the immigration system and by COVID and distance and all of that stuff. And with losing our brother-in-law recently, we've experienced many disappointments and pain along with the government dictating our lives. That was a really fun time. It's been a really hard couple of years for us. Obviously, there's been amazing and miraculous things, but it's also been really hard. 
So a few years ago, after our paperwork got delayed for 11 months, I, it like triggered just like a horrible anxiety within me. When I was battling anxiety, I was constantly afraid of dying. I would catastrophize every single environment that I was in. Like one time I went to a concert at the Schottenstein to see John Mayer, which I love John Mayer. I love him. He's not a good man, but I love him. <laughs> He's a great musician. Anyways, when I was at this concert, we were sitting at like the very, very top. Have you guys been in the Schottenstein before? You know, like the very top seats and you like look down and it looks like you're gonna fall. It's the O section. Ah, ah, I got it, I got it. So we were sitting all the way up there, and the only thing that I could think about the entire time, which is, this is very unnatural, was what would happen if the, if the building collapsed right now? What would I do? How would I get out? I wouldn't be able to get out. It was horrible. I was like, why am I thinking about this? I'm like, I'm gonna fall down into the pit. Obviously I'm not, but that was how my anxiety was talking to me. And there was a time where I was terrified to get on a plane because I thought I was signing my death sentence to get on a plane to go visit Louise. Thankfully, I had medication. Yes and amen. But my anxiety gave me heart palpitations and chest pain to a point that I was afraid to fall asleep because I thought I wasn't gonna wake up. It gave me such a strong fear of death and suffering. Anxiety causes you to live in the worry of tomorrow and robs you of the present moment. But, so it's weird because anxiety for me, gave me the fear of dying. Now I'm gonna talk a little bit about depression. So I have experienced depression in the past. When we were going through our paperwork, I was experiencing anxiety and depression, but I was in like survival mode, just like I had to take care of myself. I had to, I had to stick in there, you know, just fight through it, I had to get through it. But this year, I have experienced a new kind of depression that I've never experienced before. Now that our life has slowed down and things look a little bit more stable, we still have things that have gone on that have been really difficult and crushing. But now that like both of us are working, we both have jobs, we both can provide for each other, it's slowed down a little bit. And I feel like I finally had the opportunity to like take a deep breath. Like things have finally slowed down a bit and I've taken a deep breath. But instead of feeling relief, like I thought I would feel, it felt like all the burdens that were here on my shoulders for the past couple years. I took a deep breath and I like, there was wiggle room for it to just like crush me. And it doesn't make sense from a mental health standpoint and like a clinical standpoint, it makes a lot of sense, but like it, it, shouldn't, it shouldn't feel this way. You know what I mean? Like things are good. We just bought a new car, which like, Thank you, God. <laughs> we just got a new car. We both are working. Things are good. It shouldn't feel this way. And to preface all of this, I'm getting help. I'm getting help. I'm going to counseling. I have options for medication. So I feel like I can freely share this without it being like a cry for help. But this is the kind of depression where there's times where, because of all the pain, I feel like I don't want to be here but I also don't want to not be here at the same time. I don't know if anybody else who struggled with depression knows that feeling. It's a very familiar feeling that doesn't make sense. It's a battle. And this is very often the experience of believers 
that have eternity in their hearts because we know that this is not the way that things should be. But we don't know how to explain the grief of living on earth sometimes. So like I said, unless you've experienced depression, you might not understand this feeling. Um, but if you have, I'm sure this feels very familiar. There's a song that I love that I discovered through a cover from one of my favorite bands, Shaky Graves. Anybody else like Shaky Graves? Nice. Ben, I knew you would. We like the same music. That makes me happy. But it's actually a cover of a song that was released in 1960 by Farron Young and Roger Miller. The song is called A World So Full of Love. So I wanted to share some of the lyrics with you because it feels very Ecclesiastes-like. It reflects the scripture a lot. It says, I know how it feels to be alive with no desire to live. I know how it feels to die inside and try hard to forgive. And my way of finding out is because a love just let me down in a world so full of love, yet not enough to go around. I was once so proud to have her love that I could burst with pride. But that sunshine turned to storm, and now that's all I feel inside. It's enough to make me wish that I could hide and not be found in a world so full of love, yet not enough to go around. I could sit for days and wonder and not find the answer still. By the time I die, I wonder if by then I even will. I must live to be a hundred if I hope to live it down in a world so full of love and yet not enough to go around. I share these things not as a way to like trauma dump on you guys, but to show you that your experience is not an isolated experience. It's not. And I'm so grateful for Jesus because he never shied away from human emotions, the depths of human emotions. He was so grieved that he sweated and cried blood. I'm pretty sure none of us have experienced that, but Jesus did. He never shied away from the depths of human emotions, and that is what gives me hope and comfort. Also therapy, also meds. So thank God for that. The command in Ecclesiastes is to enjoy life, which it sounds kind of weird to talk about that after we just talked about all of this, this other stuff over here. Um, and so for me, enjoyment and learning how to enjoy life in the midst of suffering and sorrow has been a huge spiritual discipline for me, which again, it sounds weird, but what I've learned to do is I've really learned to simplify my life. It's by getting mental health support and going on medication that will help me live in a better mental realm. It's by going on long walks in the mornings to make sure I'm prioritizing my own needs. It's by practicing enjoyment, the process of making a meal that I really love and actually like sitting down and enjoying it and not just like scarfing it down because I feel so hungry, which is often what happens. The process of practicing surrender because joy is knowing that I can trust God's presence and comfort in whatever suffering may come, which is what I've experienced to be true. Also, if anyone is in need of mental health support but can't afford it, please talk to me because I have um, access to affordable health care and I have tools that I have found that we use so we can afford to have therapy. It, it is out there. So if you feel like you can't get access to it, please talk to me because I have, I have, um, I have options for you. So please, please get help if you need it. Or talk to me. I would love to talk to you. Last but not least, where's the hope that we so desperately seek? 
Our hope is that one day God will clear out all of the hevel, all of the smoke, all of the vapor. Part of finding hope is recognizing that life is out of our control, which that doesn't feel very hopeful to me because I like to have control, but to be able to revel in the mystery that is life. Total trust in God is what frees us to simply enjoy life as it is, as we actually experience it and not as we think it ought to be. Ecclesiastes allows us to deconstruct so that the good news is actually good news. Here's some wisdom in Ecclesiastes on how to live well. I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given to him under the sun. He who is joined with all the living has hope. Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Again, I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. I set out to be wise, but it was beyond me, far beyond me, and deep, oh so deep. Still, anyone selected out for life has hope. Seize life, eat bread with gusto, which I like that one. I like bread. God takes delight in your delight. Relish life with the spouse you love. Each day is a God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it. And heartily. But also know that not just anything goes. You have to answer to God every last bit. Chapter 11 says, Be generous, invest in acts of charity. Don't hoard your goods. Spread them around. Be a blessing to others. This could be your last night. When the clouds are full of water, it rains. When the wind blows down a tree, it lies where it falls. Don't sit there watching the wind. Do your own work. Don't stare at the clouds. Get on with your life. Just as you'll never understand the mystery of life forming in a pregnant woman, so you'll never understand the mystery at work and all that God does. Again, our hope is this, that God will one day clear out all of the hevel. We will see clearly what once was hidden. And Jesus tells us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I would love to read this, let's call it a, a benediction over you. So however you feel comfortable receiving it, whether that's closing your eyes, opening your hands, however you guys feel comfortable. For me, I listen a lot better if I close my eyes. So yeah, take this time to receive. This is from Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and 12, the message version. Oh, how sweet the light of day and how wonderful to live in the sunshine. Even if you live a long time, don't take a single day for granted. Take delight in each light-filled hour, remembering that there will also be many dark days and that most of what comes your way is smoke. Honor and enjoy your creator while you're still young. Before the years take their toll and your vigor wanes, before your vision dims and the world blurs, and the winter years keep you close to the fire. In old age, your body no longer serves you so well. Muscles slacken, grip weakens, joints stiffen. The shades are pulled down on the world. You can't come and go at will. Things grind to a halt. The hum of the household fades away. You are wakened now by bird song. Hikes to the mountains are a thing of the past, even a stroll down the road has its terrors, and your hair turns apple blossom white. 
Yes, you are well on your way to eternal rest, while your friends make plans. Life, lovely while it lasts, is soon over. Life as we know it, precious and beautiful ends. The body is put back in the same ground it came from. The spirit returns to God who first breathed it. It's all smoke, nothing but smoke. It's a command to, to live life well. We're going to do communion. I'm going to let Kelly pass out the communion and then I'll have her lead it, but I wanted to do a little prayer before we did communion. Huh? Just for a second. That sounds good. Father, we know that communion with you helps us live well. Teach us and show us how to live and enjoy life in the midst of sorrow. Yeah, you can pass out communion now, Kelly. Sorry, I just kind of stared at you. Um, I want to encourage you all, if you are in a season of sorrow or you feel alone, please get prayer. We're going to have people standing around to pray. And trust me, if you think you're the only one who feels the way that you do, I can assure you pretty much anyone you look at here has felt the same. Anybody that you ask to pray for you has felt the same. So, thanks. You ready? Okay, a good thing is, I'm going to have a speech evaluation. Maybe I can speak clearer someday. Okay. On the night it was, it was Passover, uh, Jesus had his 12 disciples celebrate Passover with him and was Jesus' last supper. And as he was all sitting on the ground, he passed the unleavened bread to all 12 disciples. And each disciple took a piece. And Jesus said, this bread is my body. Do it in remembrance of me. Then he passed the wine around. And then poured a little bit in the cups. And Jesus said, this is my blood. This wine is my blood. Do it in remembrance of me. And we will keep on doing it until he comes back. Thanks, Kelly. Love you, Kelly. So to close, um, one of my favorite quotes. Hi, Anderson. One of my favorite quotes is, um, we are all just walking each other home. And I love this so much that you are well on your way to eternal rest. But that's our promise, that one day life will be restful. I love you guys. Let's worship together.